Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome back to See Also. I'm Brody Lancaster. And I'm Kate Jinks. And BL, a few weeks ago, you dropped the bombshell that you are a massive Elvis fan. And I believe you went and saw the film finally. As a Presley head. What do, we, what do Elvis fans call themselves? I don't even know. But yeah, I did. I finally saw Elvis brackets 2022. Um, Baz Luhrmann's <laughs> new epic fantasy fairy tale yeah so now we can finally compare notes and i have so many notes where do we start where do we start look i didn't like the movie (laughs) okay that is a good way to start i didn't like the movie but i want to see it again because i love austin butler now Mm -hmm. i found his performance extraordinary i'm having feelings about him that i my only comparison i can draw is to when i got really deep into the One Direction fandom like 10 years ago now. And like that was deep. Like, it was deep. Yeah. A lot of people who know me now don't know me as someone who like liked One Direction or like is going to see Harry Styles in concert again. But like, no, it was following tumblers and having kind of a nervous panic wash over me for the like three weeks that they'd be in Australia every other year. And now that Austin Butler has come into my life, I just want to know everything about him. I am obsessed with his kind of commitment to the role. All of a sudden him doing press, still using the Elvis voice two years after they finished filming was cringe to me. And now I'm like, he's a master um, at his craft. You were cringing over text to me about that, like two days before you saw the film. I thought it was so dumb and so funny that he was still doing interviews being like, 
here I am in Australia. <laughs> I had such a great time filming here when we were filming Elvis. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh my God, he had to stay in character for three years because Baz Luhrmann, being Baz, would just call him up and be like, I've changed the script. We're doing something different. You're going to be performing suspicious minds with no notice. And he just had to be able to do it. No wonder. Love Austin Butler. Would love a Julian Julia style recut of this film where they just cut all the Tom Hanks out of it. Oh boy. Yes, I would love that too. Wowie. The snowman. What a what a misfire the snowman was. I just kept as soon as Tom Hanks started speaking, I just was like, oh, I don't I don't know that I'll be able to continue with this film. Like every single time he's like often someone will be doing like an accent that is like a little bit too much at first and it takes you out of the show or the film and then you get used to it and you realise, oh, no, that's really part of the character. Like Anna Delvey, for you know, for instance, it's very difficult to get into at the beginning. And then it just washes over you like poetry, you know. But um, Tom Hanks doing this (laughs) accent, I just every single time he spoke. Someone said to me after seeing the film last night, was that a racist? Was that accent kind of racist? I was like, well, the colonel was Dutch, so I guess not. Like a Dutch man in the South. I thought it was South African at points. But now I'm like, he was kind of doing gold, like Mike Myers' gold member mixed with kind of Danny DeVito as the penguin in Batman Returns. And like visually it kind of is... um, a little like a Winston Churchill, like very rounded and hook nosed. So yeah, all of those things mashed into one. I don't know. The COVID got into his brain. He was patient zero. I think it was all, it was all so off. It really was. I got a lot of Penguin, uh, the Penguin, from from his performance mm-hmm. there. But yeah, look, I have never used that snowman emoji. <laughs> you so sent much. it to me before I went into the film, and I was like, "What's she on about?" <laughs> and sadly, I knew it. all too well. Putting like such a decision from Baz to tell Elvis's story through those eyes. <laughs> I didn't love that. I, I have didn't, to say, I did not love it. Well, like the the spectacle and like the Elvis artistry was also cool to kind of, it's something I, despite my love for him, was something I never really thought about. I always kind of thought of him as someone who just had his songs written for him and, and just performed them, I guess. My favorite scene is when he's entering his Vegas years and he's like conducting the big band and he's like instructing the trumpets on when to come in. And who knows if that ever fucking happened in real life, but it's amazing to watch. I loved that too. Oh, and there's a moment, I don't think this is spoiling, but there is a moment when towards the end as Elvis is like deep into the late Vegas years when Austin Butler's performance kind of cuts out and what cuts in is like the real authentic footage of Elvis performing Unchained Melody. I didn't even catch it when it happened until like this montage of like real life footage started playing. And then I started getting so emotional and also just really reveling in what an incredible performance my boy Austin Butler. What do we call ourselves? The buttheads. Oh no. <laughs> what, what we call ourselves. Yeah, look, I also really loved that archival footage and it was the one moment where I felt true emotion in the film. Mm. And I think because, you know, it is Baz Luhrmann's Elvis by Baz and Baz and Baz. Yeah. It's just like, as I said before, it's just a really busy film. You just never, I never had time to think or 
feel anything at any point because there's so much visually happening. So much happening. It's an assault on all of the senses. Oh, boy. But, yeah, that, I don't know, the, the fact that it was archival footage that got me going and not the performances does seem a little lacking to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, but look, I, I also didn't really love the film. And I know a lot of people who have previously not been very into Baz Luhrmann's films mm. have really loved this mm. one. But I have to say, I'm really glad I was able to see it on the big screen. Mm-hmm. It definitely is a cinema film. I probably will never see it again. But... Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a cinema only one, I think. I would watch it on streaming only so I can skip just to the stuff that I want to see, you know, so I don't have to get all of the snowman character development. Yeah, sure. Can I also say our man Austin, our man. I know, I was like, our I don't friend. know that I'm a butthead, I'm sorry. <laughs> I found out that he dated Vanessa Hudgens of High School Musical fame for almost a decade they split up like when he was making this film. Anyway, who even knew? Oh, he played um, Tex in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. I'm going back. I'm going deep into the Austin archive. It's not that deep. It's only <laughs> no, from a few years ago. Um, it's quite shallow. Actually. It's actually quite shallow. But his commitment to the role, physically, emotionally, spiritually, etc., was so intense. You know, when you're in like a really deep work period, perhaps the one that you're in now. I don't want to set like a a gloomy forecast for the future but you know when you're just like I've got to get through this thing and then this thing and then this thing and then this thing and then the second you kind of stop you get really sick or you get you come down with your body is just running on adrenaline for a while and as soon as you stop you kind of it all hits you apparently that happened when he was filming this movie and like the day after they wrapped filming he was like admitted to the hospital with kind of these like phantom appendicitis symptoms so I feel like Austin Butler is a girl boss because he just commits and commits and um Tom Hanks apparently had to tell him on set like you've got to bring a book or a film or watch something or do something when you're on these jobs to remind you that this is not all there is something very different that's why Tom Hanks always reads war biopics apparently um well, he, you know, Band of Brothers, he loves oh, like... yeah, of course. He's a boomer man. Yeah, he yeah. loves World War II. It's mm. their mm. only interest. History Channel. So, yeah, I feel like Austin Butler is kind of one of us. Okay, all right. I'll let him in. Let, I will let him in. Let's get him on the pod. I think that'll be easy, <laughs> I reckon. He can do the Elvis voice. Yeah. Um, he's also... He and Tom Hanks are like the only non-Australians in the film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I found kind of fun. Also a little distracting. Yeah. Felt like it was like being back at a Belvoir Theatre opening circa <laughs> 2013. And I look, I did enjoy that. Oh, um, my God, it's Cody Smith-McPhee. It is. There he is. But look, one thing that has come out of all of the Elvis stuff and, oh, A, I really want to get one of those hound dogs, the stuffed toy hound dogs from the film. Oh. Desperate for one of those. <laughs> if anyone has any hookups with Catherine Martin. Um, there was after I've just said I don't really think I'll want to see that film again. Um, her work was incredible. her work was phenomenal as 
always as per Catherine Martin. Yeah. Beautiful. There's a great Vanity Fair video where she talks through like making the costumes and every time she's going to say similarly, she says similarily, which I really liked. But yeah, there's a a really good interview with Baz, the best one that I have read so far. And I've been reading all of them, I have to say. I'm a junkie by Luke Goodsell for the ABC. Um, Yeah, it's one of the best interviews that I've read with him so far. And he talks all about... His Elvis fandom and growing up in regional New South Wales, etc. Great. Yeah, so good. Baz was going down to the local cinema watching Elvis double features as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Cute. Cute. What else, Bia? Well, I was going to say, speaking of watching things on the weekend, what did you watch on the weekend? Okay, so while you were at Elvis, I started in on a show that kind of hit the air do things hit the air anymore i don't know anyway it started streaming um (laughs) (laughs) like a month or two ago and i finally caught up to it it's killing it on stan and i highly highly recommend it and i'm really looking forward to when you see it so that we can have a chat about it yeah is this the craig robinson show yeah he stars as a man named craig Uh uh-huh and opposite claudia o'doherty one of our own shout out and she's great in this it's such a good show it kind of tackles trump's america Mm -hmm. uh, and the class and systemic racism and capitalism all in the florida wetlands oh if you don't like snakes there are a lot of snakes in this (laughs) in this show it is about killing snakes that is such an eerie eerie place to set anything did you ever watch that um Amy Simon's film Sun Don't Shine no. a few years ago. I saw it at South by Southwest and it was Caitlin Scheel was the star with that guy Kentucker Audley who's in all those like mumblecore mm-hmm. projects and they just play this couple who you find out as the movie goes on are trying to hide a body somewhere in the Florida wetlands, which is like a thing that happens. Like apparently Amy Simon's grew up being told like, if you go missing, they're going to check the wetlands. Like they're going to try to bury you in a swamp, which is a cool thing to know as a kid. Yeah. Very like sweaty, Hmm. sweaty setting for a movie. Yeah. This show is sweaty. Yeah. Anyway, you've got to start watching it, BL. It's very good. I really need a new show that is written by people because I've been watching so much reality TV. Like this weekend I caught up on Love Island Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip Season 2 Ex-Wives Club. Oh my God. I even I a bridge too far for me. Seeing Brandy Glanville not only back on TV, but back starting really intense charged drama. I don't know if I can stick with it. But yeah. Dorinda did fight with Vicky Gumvelson about vaccinations in the first episode, which I kind of liked. Sure. She went Dorinda, but on an anti-vaxxer. So that was quite satisfying. She made it nice about vaccinations. She made it quite nice. Caught up on Love Island, which I'm just going to say it's great this season. If you're also watching Love Island, anyone listening? I know Kate isn't. Sorry. If you're also watching, let me know who you think Ekansu should have chosen. Are you still watching Dubai? I I said I was going to catch up on Dubai and all I got to was episode two. Okay. All right. I think maybe there are four out now. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's not appointment viewing for me. I don't think, um, Beverly Hills though is starting to get very silly. Yeah. I am a diehard Rehoboher fan as Mm -hmm. you know, famously, but this season I started watching it and for the first time ever, I turned it off. 
it's been boring. It's been like, let's have a conversation about a conversation that happened a year ago off camera. Yeah, I can't, I really can't deal with it anymore. Yeah. Jinxie, I heard that you have joined a club of which I have been a member for about a year now, the Apple Watch. Yeah, I finally did it. Where is society? (laughs) I finally did it. I think that they're foul and extremely ugly. They're so ugly. They're so ugly. Why are they that shape? The oblong, the worst shape. The oblong and then the rubbery band. Like (laughs) you're only wearing it for sports reasons. Yeah. No, look, I'm not into it. I wanted to look at my phone a little bit less Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to carry it around with you all the time. I wanted to be motivated to move more mm-hmm. because it's the busiest time work-wise for me at the moment of the year. Yep. Plus it's very cold. So I was like, you know, anything helps, anything can help. Mm-hmm. I bought it refurbished directly from Apple. So it was significantly cheaper and I could feel better about myself for for, yeah. for doing it. But, I did um, the same thing about a year ago. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so I'm... I am one of those people who is going to have to remember to take it off in photos because it is ugly, right? There is a meme at the moment that's like, take off your Apple Watch when you get married (laughs) or when you go to a wedding. And my first thought is, I do a lot of dancing at weddings and I want to count those steps, baby. Put it in your purse? Maybe put it in my purse. My hot tip as an Apple Watch wearer for some time now is to turn off the wrist vibrating function and I made it so that I don't get any notifications on my Apple Watch. So like haptics, it's called. the haptics. I went the first night I went out after becoming an Apple Watch person, wearing a regular swatch again. I kept feeling like phantom buzzing on mm. my wrist, which I it really spooked me. And so I think by default it like mirrors all the notifications on your phone. So I went in and did a lot of custom settings to make sure that I only see messages on my phone when I go and choose to see them. Okay, this is good. This is good intel for me because I've also deleted Twitter off my phone, which I did about a week and a half ago. Mm. And let me tell you, I was very pleased uh, not to be able to check Twitter very easily this past weekend when uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. I think I just wouldn't have been able to tear myself away. Uh, I was already so furious and Mm -hmm. disappointed Mm. (laughs) that it was sort of nice to be able to choose more what I was reading about everything that was happening and not just being kind of stuck to some endless, oh, like hot take cycle. Mm. I think I need to do it too. Like I, I don't have any social media logged in on my work computer which means that it's only when I use my personal computer that I check things like Facebook. And it would be really great to not have that pull to Twitter every time I open mm-hmm. my phone, which is too much mm-hmm. also. You forget about it very quickly. Yeah, I think I would. And I think I would start to care a lot less about whether I'm on it or not. Okay. Well, it's, this is good. We're setting goals. Yeah, that's a goal. It's fucked up that I care if I'm on it or not, honestly. I interviewed a band recently, three men and then one female member of the band and she kind of said towards the end of the interview that she had deleted Instagram and I clarified like do you you deleted the app off your phone or your account she was like no I deleted my whole account (gasps) this band is like blowing up they're very big Mm -hmm. in Australia and she was like I just started to really I caught myself kind of caring how people perceived me and what they thought of me and I just didn't want that to be something I had to worry about anymore. And so I just deleted it. And now people can think 
whatever they think about me, but I just don't have to be conscious of it. I'm misquoting her really badly, but... You're paraphrasing. Oh my God. I was like, can we get these guys out of here so I can just talk to you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Look, I don't think I could go that far. I mean, like I don't use Facebook anymore, Mm, mm. but Instagram, I still like it. I'm into it. Are you going to join Be Real? I don't even know what that is. Be Real's a new app where um, I only have like five people on it at the moment. And similar to Wordle, where you can only play once a day, on Be Real, you can only post once a day. And if your friends have posted their one Be Real that day, you can only look at them if you post yours. Mm. And so when you log on, all the photos in your feed, which for me are like four photos, are blurry until I post mine. And what it does is it gives everyone an alert at the same time all over the world. And it's like, you've got two minutes to post your be real. That's a lie. You can post it later, (laughs) but it just says that you've posted it later and the camera is within the app. So you don't upload from your feed. The idea is that you capture whatever you're doing at that moment in time. And it uses your front camera and then it takes a second and then it uses your back camera So it's like what you're looking at and what you look like. And they're kind of inset like picture in picture with one another. So like my friend posted a photo of her baby and then the reverse is a photo of her looking at her baby. I mean, that is cute. Yeah. But I would spend too much time thinking about what I was going to post each day. Well, yeah, I don't like to pull my phone out when I'm like out with my friends, generally Mm. speaking. And so a lot of mine are photos of my TV while I, with whatever I'm watching on TV (laughs) or sometimes I'll do a photo of my cat and then I'll flick my phone around at the right time and then get a second photo of my cat. Oh, that's cute. I can't, I cannot install another thing. (laughs) I just cannot. Well, that's all right. It's not going to take over from Instagram. Okay, good. So Jinxie, you mentioned before the news that came out of America, the Supreme Court decision about Roe vs. Wade on the weekend. Is this the first truly furious moment of our podcast? <laughs> this afternoon I had my about an hour of fury. Now I feel kind of beaten down by mm. it and I'm sure I will ride like another three waves before I go to bed tonight. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I have been dealing with also. But this film that we are going to talk about still, and I understand that I don't know, maybe people are feeling like they've read everything. They just can't deal with it anymore. Yeah. Um, I totally get that. And I also feel like that at the moment. However, this documentary is great. It's such a good watch. And I think that it will be quite stirring for a lot of people ultimately. Yeah. I think it's really, really quite something to watch in 2022, this film about people who in the 1960s before Roe v. Wade, when abortions were still illegal and quite dangerous in America, this group of women who kind of took matters into their own hands and said, if no one's going to care for us, how are we going to care for one another? And the systems that they created to be able to do that as this kind of group that has been captured in books and now in several films, like over the years, just the way that they banded together and got to fucking work is really inspiring to me. Yeah, truly. So this uh, this film, The Janes, by Emma Pilders and Tia Lesson premiered at Sundance earlier in the year where I saw it and was really stunned by it. Also at Sundance was Call Jane, which is a fictionalised version of this mm. story starring Elizabeth Banks, and it's directed by Phyllis Naji, who 
wrote the screenplay for Carol, Todd Haynes' Carol. We love you, Phyllis. We love you, Phyllis. But yeah, this documentary is so interesting. It really kind of dives quite deep into, like it sets a scene of what was happening in America at that time as far as abortion rights, the medical system, and mm-hmm. also women's liberation, where every, where they were all kind of meeting at this one particular point in time and then delves quite deep into a couple of the women's stories. So if you're not familiar with the Janes, they were a group of women activists who banded together and helped obtain abortions for women who could not get them because they were illegal for differing amounts of money mm-hmm. um, and kept it all very anonymous. And then over time, they actually began to perform the abortions themselves. These were not doctors mm. or, you know, did not, not medical professionals. Yeah. While they were active, they provided more than 11,000 abortions. Mm. It is wild. Mm. Yeah. And they, the way that they got it done was they, they chose the name Jane. One of them had a phone at her apartment that she kind of volunteered for use. They created an answering machine message saying, if you need to speak to Jane, like leave your name and phone number and we'll, you know, get back to you. And they advertised on bulletin boards and in classifieds and I believe in like feminist publications and things like that. It said need an abortion, call Jane or need help, call Jane. And women called in the thousands. And yeah, like you said, the the people who could afford to pay more paid more and that paid for the women who didn't have any money to get the service. And at the time, like the Janes were based in Chicago. And so the film kind of opens there with the story of what was happening before this, before there was kind of a way to access a safe abortion. Um, they were handled by the mob who would kind of just leave these poor girls post-procedure without any of their money. They took whatever money they had really desperate in like bad parts of town and just had to figure out how to recover and make their way home. And so the Janes not only provided the service, but they provided transport and they had systems in place where the women kind of weren't seen together going in and out of like a doctor's office. They would kind of take them to an apartment and then to another place and then they'd get them home again at the end of the day. Yeah, and they could set up a surgical room in like five minutes or something and they could pack it down in five as well. Yeah. You know, like they really had it down to a very fine art by the end of their time together. Mm. And, yeah, like they're so inspiring, these women who they really put themselves at such risk, but they also put their families at risk by being a part of it and performing these illegal surgeries, um, procedures. Mm. But just these women who came together and the reasons why they were a part of it. So not all of them had had abortions themselves. You know, like they'd had to help their, you know, friend at college who'd been raped. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like there are all these different stories. Some of them were mothers and had children and just, yeah, felt the call. Yeah, and their children were around while they were taking the calls and providing the (laughs) procedures, which is amazing. Yeah. And... They would, when the phone rang, they would write the details of each woman down on an index card and Mm. and take these very, like, sparse amount of details and and ask the women what they could afford to pay. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just... And and also how they felt. Like, there's there's a really incredible scene where 
the women now who are in their like seventies, eighties are going through the note cards that they still have these thick yellow index cards and they're reading out just words that are scrawled down, like terrified zero dollars, 16 years old, 16 weeks along, like scared. Mm. There's also one that says bad vibes, which I noticed. I wonder what happened to that woman. I wonder where she is. Yeah. Um, And it also looks at the women who were in the collective were largely from kind of some level of privilege. They were mostly white and they knew that they could kind of get away with it if they were held accountable for it. They seem to now be reflecting in similar ways to like, you know, recent-ish documentaries about like the Riot Girl movement, for example, like with hindsight, women from these kind of like feminist groups look back and kind of reconsider um, the structures and like all of that kind of thing involved in the way that they operate. The Jane's story is, is, it's so incredible. It's the kind of thing that when you first hear about it, you kind of can't believe that it ever existed because they, they feel almost like superheroes, you know, these women. And like you said, there's Call Jane. I also found out that there was another film that was made a few years ago called. There's one called AKA Jane Rowe. Oh, I've never heard of that one. There was one in 2018, apparently called Ask for Jane. There's a book uh, written by Laura Kaplan, who was a part of the service. Um, and also when I was looking up, I was trying to find a review of this film and I came across a tweet from the writer Maura Donegan, who said that she had seen, been to a screening of a PBS documentary from 1996, which was just called Jane. And apparently that was the first time that many of them spoke publicly or maybe were um appeared on screen and she tweeted honestly one of the most inspiring parts of the montage of Jane veterans were that they all talked about how much they detested each other interpersonally so many variations of we did not need to be best friends to get the work done and they kind of reject it being called the Jane collective because they were adamant that like no we weren't like a unit we just all came together for this kind of common goal Mm, yeah Yeah, I think that's really important to it's the kind of shit that bogs us down today, you know? I say us, like, very broadly. The idea that you can only work with or share the same values as people that you like or would have as a friend. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that you kind of fall in love with a couple of the women in the documentary. Though oh, There's God. one, and she was so young when she was doing it, and eventually... This is not a spoiler, it's historical. The police did raid one of their procedures Mm -hmm. uh, in 1972 and one of the police asked her what was for lunch and she said, pig. (laughs) And, like, I love it. I love that spunky, spiky A-cab attitude. You're seeing a woman who kind of, you know, looks like she she could be my grandma or, you know, my friend's mum and she's just like a brutal little punk still and at the time she was you know younger than us yeah (laughs) that's the thing that really struck me like I watched this film a couple of weeks ago and so by the time the news came out last weekend from America I, I I had the Janes very fresh in my head and something in the last few days that's really struck me as I've been thinking about the film more is just feeling really kind of a little lighter or a little more emboldened by the fact that these specific women are still around and like women like them are still around women from that era of activism and reproductive justice 
are still here while the fight continues and has been kind of renewed, I guess. They're still so full of passion and there was so much determination back then to just get the shit done that needed to be done. And it really is like inspiring to me that there are like systems will always fail us and that it is up to us to kind of find the solutions for one another. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I watched this back in February and like I said, was really stunned by it. I I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. And, um, I actually rewatched it uh, on Saturday night after I heard the news of what was happening in America because I really, it felt quite special when I first watched it and I kind of wanted that feeling again. Mm. I think I wanted that kind of feeling of collective power, yeah, which is just so important. Mm. It's streaming now on Binge in Australia and HBO in the US and could not recommend it enough. While I am so grateful for the women who are the Janes and who are still speaking out about it, you know, I I saw them speak at, I've seen them speak at a couple of panels this year because of the documentary coming out, Mm -hmm. but there is still, I don't know, there's this one tweet that was tweeted over the weekend and Mm -hmm. it made me so upset with rage. Uh, Elaine Boosler, famous stand-up comedian, Mm -hmm. she tweeted uh, this thing that like it's so callous anyway I'm gonna read it out okay I'm gonna tell you a secret my generation of women is not gonna march for you we're livid we voted marched fought suffered were butchered bled we won we tried to tell you but you said don't condescend to us you were too busy getting butt implants to vote organize get it good luck I just I my girlfriend read it out to me and I was just like, a, put my cutlery down, you know, like I, I yeah. could not really deal with it. I just, this idea. The callous is the word. You yeah. Said that it. just like putting the blame back on women. It's just, and like that it becomes this sort of issue about like beauty standards as well. And it's like, that's the patriarchy at work, babes. But you know, it's yeah. also not that like that that didn't exist when she was fighting, but also that, that fighting for something ends like that they fought for it. They won. And therefore that's it. Like we're done. Yeah. That, like the world does not work like that at all. You know, if you win one thing, you need to bring up the people behind you mm-hmm. to, to be level, you know, for equality, for that kind of justice. Uh, and yeah, I don't, I just am so livid anyway. It's getting quite a lot of traction. Uh, and yes, I did delete Twitter off my phone, but it was, it was read out to me. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to call you a hypocrite. Disclaimer. Um, that's horrifying. I hadn't seen that. But the first thing that is coming to my mind is like, Sinead O'Connor, fight the real enemy, Elaine. Like, who the fuck are you mad at, really? Like, if your issue is with young women wanting to look hot, like, what, are you going to fight against them while they're trying to access <laughs> fucking reproductive health care? Truly. Who are you mad at? Yeah, truly, right. And why are you just trying to be a bit of a cunt at a time when people are really fucking hurting? Yeah, really low. And terrified. And it's, you know, anyway, I've got a couple of C also. Uh-huh. On a slightly happier, not a happier note, but a better note than that. Yeah. 
One New Yorker piece that's been getting a lot of traction rightfully is Gia Tolentino's piece. Uh, We're not going back to the time before Roe. We are going somewhere worse. Really, everyone needs to read this. Mm -hmm. But also it just came out another New Yorker piece uh, called The Final Hours in One of America's Largest Abortion Clinics. And it details the final day of an abortion clinic in Houston, Texas, as they found out that Roe v. Wade had been overturned and they had patients waiting for abortions and suddenly the people at the clinic had to say to them, I'm sorry, we can't, it's illegal, I can't perform this today. And had to send these, you know, pregnant people home with pamphlets about what they can do. And apparently the pamphlets had information of three clinics that they could contact interstate and two of them had already been shut down. You know, it's like it's very grim. Anyway, I think... It really put things into perspective to me of exactly who is being affected here. Mm. And, of course, it is an issue of privilege and of class. It is a way to keep people on the poverty line down. Yeah. It's only going to increase disadvantage. It's going to make people sicker and it's going to fucking kill people. Yeah, exactly. It's horrifying. Abortions will still happen. Just more people will die. On that kind of sad note, there was also a really good episode, a special episode of the New York Times podcast, The Daily, the other day. Roe v. Wade is overturned. And you do get to hear from some pro-life, the dumbest phrasing ever is Anti-choice. Anti-choice. Yeah. People rallying and celebrating. And it all really got my uh, blood boiling. It kind of stopped me in my tracks listening to that. I I wasn't expecting to hear these like chants and like songs in celebration of it. I thought at first that I was listening to a protest opposing the decision. And then I kind of had to Mm. like take a second glance That was so hard to hear. Yeah, I really recommend that episode as well. The last thing I want to say, I guess, on this is that I've seen a lot of smug Australians online on social media, you know, being like, abortion is legal in Australia. Like, (laughs) I feel really sorry for you, America. And I just, like, we're not. I've seen a lot of that as well. We have our own problems. And I... It's a slippery slope, of course. Uh, yeah. So I thought that maybe it's a good idea that in Australia that we brush up on the abortion laws here and what it actually means. Mm. So I looked up exactly what it is, what the laws are state by state and mm-hmm. how they actually differ from state to state. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that in South Australia you need two doctors to agree to give you an abortion for the health or mental well-being of the of the person at risk. And in most other states, you only need one doctor until the 22-week mark. Mm. Um, in Victoria, it's 24. Anyway, I found that fascinating. And also there was a 7 a.m. podcast episode from last year about people in Wagga seeking to terminate their pregnancies and being unable to. That was really fascinating that we can link to. I want to revisit that episode. Yeah, I'm with you. I brushed up on the laws in Australia too because I saw a lot of smug Australians and people in Aotearoa in New Zealand doing the same thing. And it, it's something that we see in Australia when children are gunned down in schools in America. They like to point out that that's not a problem here. I never have to worry about that here in Australia. And I always want to say, like, who is this for? Is it for the people who are really fucking scared right now? Like, who who are you doing this for? The smug satisfaction of it. It's so unhelpful. And also abortion in Australia is a state by state issue 
just as it now is in America. That's mm-hmm. the issue that is in America now. Roe v. Wade just legalized it nationally. It now is an issue for the states, which it is in Australia. Only last year was abortion fully decriminalized in South Australia. Two years ago in New South Wales. Like, we're not this fucking progressive beacon that can, like, sit so smug. Because the next time a conservative government is installed in Australia, who fucking knows what could happen? Tony Abbott was our minister for health a few years ago. Like, we're not... I don't even, I can't even be articulate because I see the same thing as what you're describing. And it makes me so upset. I think that, um, we should turn to the words of our dear friend, Penny Modra here. Mm -hmm. Stay nervous. Stay nervous, y'all. It's a guiding principle for a reason. I would love to recommend right now. I mentioned it before the story of Jane, a book by Laura Kaplan, who's part of Jane. I haven't read it myself, but it's now a copy is on its way to me because uh, I want to read more about these people. I also have a zine that I bought many years ago, maybe like 10 years ago, um, that I dug out of my shoebox of zines. It's called Jane Documents from Chicago's Clandestine Abortion Service, 1968 to 1973. It was published. I couldn't find a copy online, but I'm going to link in the show notes to um, a digitized version, a PDF of it. It was published by Firestarter Press, who um, the people there wanted to put the Jane's work into the context of not just the present day abortion debate. I say present day, this was published in 2004, but also the class divides of the women's movement and their ongoing need for self-organization. It features so many different kinds of uh, writing. There's a discussion with Judith Arcana, who uh, was from the Janes and featured in the documentary. She also has a piece of creative writing in it. There's a feature by Ruth Sergal called Organizing a Clandestine Abortion Service and Not for Nothing. Perhaps we need to revisit that. And I just wanted to read a couple of lines from the intro of this zine that really struck me. It says, the story of Jane begs us to ask, should we really wait for abortion to be outlawed before we take matters into our own hands? We've seen what legalization can accomplish, namely co-option leading to westernization. So what use is it to bat around various laws when what needs to be done is something we can do ourselves? And that is from 2004 by Firestarter Press. Well, it's time for Also Also's where BL and I give recommendations for a couple of things every week that are usually unrelated to what we've been talking about. But this week, it's a little bit different because I think many of us are feeling like we don't know how to help, particularly if we're not in America, how to organize and be a part of the change that is needed in the world. But if you do have your own change, I would highly recommend that you donate also. It is a way to, I don't know, do your bit and feel a little less helpless. And also to educate yourself about who you're donating to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got two places that I think have, that I have donated to that I think are really worthy of your, <laughs> of your funds, if you, if you can, of course. And I know that we have our own issues here. Uh, But there is in our own voice, the National Black Women's Reproductive Justice Agenda was founded in 2014. Or if you would prefer your donations split automatically between many, many different organizations, and there are so many in the States, there's the National Network of Abortion Funds. That's uh, abortionfunds.org. And you can either have your money split between wherever they think it should go, or you can specifically choose particular states where you want your money to go or particular organizations. 
I've got a read also. It's a book called The Post Row Handbook. Um, it was published in 2019 by the reporter and abortion activist Robin Marty. It is available on Amazon. That is the only place that I could find it. So you just got to do your balance of <laughs> buying from Jeff Bezos uh, for a book of resources, including reproductive health networks that provide services. And it's also a way to find out about organizations that have been preparing for this for a really long time. This took a lot of us by surprise, but I think the people who are actually doing the work, both in a medical sense and like an activism sense, are not as shocked as some of us are about this. Um, And so people have been ready. And that's something that has made me feel a little less worried and helpless is that the people who can do the work to make sure that pregnant people are healthy and cared for are ready to do that work. So yeah, the post row handbook. While we're organizing, I have a plan also. (laughs) It's a little bit different to what we've been talking about this episode, but if like me, you find yourself without a calendar, like a wall calendar halfway through the year when you really, really need one. A new financial year calendar. That's yes. That's a, that's a way of looking at it. Yeah. Most stores do not have them in stock and laugh at you when you ask for them. (laughs) But floral artist extraordinaire Hattie Malloy from Melbourne has come through with the goods. She is still stocking her very beautiful printed wall calendars in her online shop. Thank Gaia for that. (laughs) I ordered one. It came straight away. It's been filled in. It's on the wall. And also while I was perusing her online store, I allowed myself a little purchase, which was the uh, cornflower blue cap. Cute. Cornflower blue is my fave color. Cornflowers are my fave flowers. You're doing a lot of blue at the moment. I really like it. Yeah, thank you. You know, it stems from a shroom experience from a couple of years ago. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) I also have a kind of organize also. Um, I recently got my hands on a bunch of the IKEA Stuck cubes that's s-t-u-k and if you like me have very deep wardrobes and you've been trying to get your hands on those 51 by 38 by 18 centimeter stuck cubes for months now maybe you also signed up to get a text alert when they were back in stock and then jumped on it jinxie open that cupboard behind you they're my stooks. This is organized. It's so organized. Wait, I'm going to take a photo. And I was put about it on. to say, Rita, this is organized. I'm going to take a photo and put it on my Instagram so people can see. Yeah, so I highly recommend a few stooks in your cupboard. Cute. Yeah. Uh, my last one is a listen also. I'm a really big Karen Dalton fan. If you're not familiar with Karen, please get familiar with Karen. She was an incredible folk artist who never really got her due, partly because of that was the lifestyle she was living and chose to live. But there is a new-ish album came out in April for Record Store Day. Ah, new Karen Dalton in 2022. Right, it's a good time. Wow. It's called Shuck and Sugar. Of course it is. And uh, it features unearthed live sessions from 1963 and 1964. And like just when you think you've heard everything that woman had to sing, it's just a real joy to have something new, even if you've heard most of the songs, but they're just live. Mm. Uh, And they were with her 
then partner Richard Tucker as well. I gotta say, it's probably not the album if you're not familiar with Karen Dalton to get into. I would probably say start with In My Own Time, features probably her best known song and the one that you probably have heard called Something on Your Mind. And if you are feeling the Dalton vibes, cannot recommend a documentary that came out last year more highly. It's called Karen Dalton In My Own Time. It's not streaming anywhere. We played it at MIFF last year. It was so good. So good. And it's not streaming anywhere at the moment in Australia. It's streaming all sorts of places internationally. (laughs) But if you are lucky enough to have the Criterion channel like me, you can watch it there. Oh, great. That was such a good documentary. I didn't know very much about Karen Dalton. And so now I'm very excited for new new songs. I'm a Dalton head. What do we call that? Mm, Dalts. Dalts, all right. A Dalton deep dive. <laughs> My last one is uh, Nails also. It's the cuticle oil from a Melbourne-based kind of beauty product distributor called Beauty Merchant. They're just online um, and you can order like big dropper bottles of their cuticle oil. If you've ever gotten your nails done at Trophy Wife Salon in Richmond, which is where I go, this is the same cuticle oil in the little pen brushes or the droppers that they'll use on your nails after a manicure. I like to keep a big bottle of it at my desk next to my keyboard just so that I never forget to kind of keep my cuticles hydrated. Apparently it makes a difference. Okay. I'm always fucking with my fingers. You are. Yeah. Acetone, which removes your polish, dries out your cuticles. So you've got to keep them hydrated. Guys, keep them hydrated. Keep them hydrated. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If we didn't make you feel too sad or we gave you something to think or smile about or watch, you can leave us a five-star rating please or a review or both on apple podcasts and we'd love it if you followed us on instagram at see also podcast and use that tag when you're sharing the podcast with your friends yeah we love it when people share this podcast with their friends so that we're not just talking to our friends we want to make new friends you we know? want to make new ones someone made a meme about our podcast last week that's cute i loved that shout out laura Loved it. She loves high octane now because we introduced her to it. Good. Great. Yeah. Thank you, as always, to Samuel Hodge for our imagery and to Harvey Sutherland for our original theme music. And remember, don't forget to go and fight for reproductive rights and justice after you get your butt implant. And fight the real enemy. (laughs) Bad butts. See ya. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.